chapter 1. Everybody got their appetite whetted tonight for your favorite soup? <clears throat> ready? I'm ready. So we'll, we'll cut this sermon down to about an hour and a half and then we'll eat. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We should underline that word knowledge. The more we know about him, the more we can please him. Verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in, a, that is in the, the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, draw our hearts heavenward as we hear from you in your word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would guide us to concentrate on those things that would be helpful in our Christian life. We'll thank you in all that we say and do and all that we hear and all that we decide, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read on my Facebook page a couple of days ago, you know, if you hadn't noticed, they've got advertisements that pop up on your, your news feed every so often, advertisement. If you, if you happen to look at something, you know, they'll advertise that endlessly for the next few days until you mention something else. If you, if you look at a car, they're going to advertise cars to you. You know that, don't you? Well, I saw a Facebook ad. I, I was interested because these, these home meals like HelloFresh and uh, Every Plate and some of those like that, they, they send you boxed meals where all you got to do is take it out of the box and, and prepare it. But it's all in portions that you don't have to buy a huge amount of groceries. And so their selling point is it's convenient, it's fresh, and it'll even save you money over your groceries. <laughs> And so I'd read about one of those just to see what it was all about. And uh, I was reading the uh, reviews under it to see if people really thought they were worthwhile. And uh, 
Some of the reviews were really good. They, they really liked the service. They get their meals delivered to their door, and all they got to do is, is just prep it a little bit and cook it, and they're ready to eat a fresh meal. And uh, some of them were saying, this, Hello Fresh is really good. Hello Fresh is worth the money. Hello Fresh is just the best thing since a pocket on a shirt. And this one guy, I guess he thought, He tried it, and he guess he thought the portions weren't big enough. He said, hello, I'm still hungry. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I thought that was kind of that's kind of funny. But there are some Christians who find themselves unfulfilled, and their life doesn't seem to be as exciting or interesting They're Christian, since they got saved. I actually saved people who just didn't seem to advance very far into the Christian faith and it's not interesting to them and their faith just kind of falls flat and they're kind of undernourished, I guess. And I, I myself, when I first got saved, I remember the first few weeks after I got saved, I thought, I, I wonder, because I knew, I wonder if this is all there is. You know, I, I've got the assurance of my salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. The word of God says that. But what else is there? Do I just get saved and go ahead living my old way of life and just doing the same old stuff and life is just the same and wait for, wait till I get to heaven? Is that all it is? And I've been thinking on that and after reading this passage of scripture, I'm, I'm convinced that God is not expecting us to live the same level of life that we lived before we got saved. That God means for us to advance further on and it may be that we're underweight spiritually when we feel that way. It may be that we're malnourished spiritually. And maybe something needs to be added to our Christian life. Advancing in the Christian life. We'll title the message that tonight, and that will be our topic. Advancing in the Christian life. Where are you right now? Are you going to be satisfied to stay where you are? Or would you like to grow a little more? and advance further and find out what's out there in the Christian life that could be more fulfilling even than what you experience now. Growth in a number of levels is made plain in this text that we just read. And the Lord intends, I believe, completely for every one of His children, every one of His born-again children, to advance in the Christian faith. He doesn't mean for us to sit still. So what do we do? Well, let's talk about... Let's talk about a couple of things. First of all is faithful addition. I think God is a mathematician. Paul figured out that. Add, add, add. It's what we just read here. Add. Add this. Add that. Add another thing. So we're talking about faithful addition. In our life, we need some math to be work spiritually, adding things in our life. So he sets before us some spiritual arithmetic. And first of all, we according to verse number uh, chapter 1, verse 5, the first part. We must not only believe, but behave. Watch this sevenfold progression as we go back to, to verse number 5. He said, and beside this, giving all diligence. What's the next word? Add. I'll just check and see if you're with me on the same page there. Are you? We, we together? Second Peter? Add to your faith virtue. Well, adding to our faith virtue will cause something to happen. It'll cause us to have a belief that behaves. 
You see, <coughs> God, God intends for us to not just believe something, but to behave a certain way because we believe it. We must have a belief that behaves. This was a major theme in the book of James, is that if you have a faith, a, a real genuine faith, a godly faith, a, a faith that's genuine will work. Now, we don't believe in salvation works. We don't believe that you're saved by works. But we believe that James teaches that if you have salvation, that faith will find a way to work. And it'll cause us not just to believe, <coughs> but to move forward in this virtue. What is virtue anyway? Maybe we call it a, a moral excellence. It's character of the Christian life. Genuine goodness. Have you ever heard somebody say, boy, he was a good man. They usually wait till we die to tell us that. <laughs> he was a good man. Yeah. I, if, if, I'm, if somebody thinks I'm a good man, I wish you'd go ahead and tell me now because I won't hear you after I die. <laughs> he was a good man. She was a good woman. Well, that's a good kid. Uh, Karen had a little baby over at the house this afternoon. Baby Harrison was there and and he was just quiet and slept all the time and didn't cause any trouble. He's just making cute poses in his sleep. You know how they do, right? <laughs> that's, that's a baby's job, just to lay around and look cute. And so he's just looking cute. And, and when she came to get him, I, I said, you know, he's really been good. He, he's just a good baby. He's a good baby. Well, you know what? God needs some good babies in his family. He wants some children who are good. I mean, really good. We're not doing it to get applause. We're just good because we love God and that's what he wants us to add is virtue to our faith. And next, we not only have integrity, but also to be informed. Not just integrity, but be informed. And what do we mean by that? Look at the last part of verse 5. And to virtue, knowledge. Add to the virtue, knowledge. This word refers to knowledge acquired by effort, learning. <laughs> you know that uh, it takes some work to learn things. You've taken some courses in school or maybe in, when you were in grade school or high school or maybe in college. You've taken some courses and you couldn't just take your textbook home at night and put it under your pillow and get the knowledge by osmosis. <laughs> you have to actually read it. Think about it. Study it. See, I made Brother Lloyd mad. He's, he doesn't want to learn. He's, he's got... <laughs> oh, he got under conviction and came back. <clears throat> Knowledge. Learning. And it takes effort to learn. How many of you know that? It takes effort to learn. I mean, it takes effort to get out of bed on Sunday morning, come to church and learn something about the Lord. It takes some effort if you're taking a school class to be able to pass the test. It takes some effort that you're good at your job after you've got your education. Having knowledge is necessary. And in the New Testament, it has special application. Look here. It takes a special application, this knowledge is a special application to spiritual truth. There's no truth more important than spiritual truth. We need knowledge according to our job, parenting, whatever we endeavor to do, even a hobby. You have to have a little bit of knowledge. But 
Spiritual knowledge is at the top of the priority list. And God expects us to expand our mental horizons. You know, we have not arrived just because we got saved. There's a lot of learning to do. Would you agree with that? Man, I've been learning now for over 40 years since I got saved, and I'm just beginning to scratch the surface. I don't think I'm going to live long enough to learn it all. <laughs> and, and if I lived to be 200 years old, I wouldn't know it all yet. Maybe we will when we get to heaven. But while we're here, we're supposed to keep on learning and adding to this virtue the desire just to be a good person. Add to that virtue knowledge. How do we know how to be Christ-like? Well, by reading about him, studying about him. Think of Paul. He was, uh, he was really excited when he wrote this in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Listen to this. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, man, I've been studying about the Lord and I'm just overwhelmed. It's so great, I can't soak it all in. I want to know it, but there's more there than I can gather together. And so what do we do? Keep on adding knowledge. You won't get it all in one dose. When your doctor prescribes a medication, you don't go home and take the whole bottle at once, do you? <laughs> I hope not. You add a little each day or each dosage. You take more in. And it's that way with spiritual truth. We just need to keep adding it in. We can't absorb it all at once, but we can add biblical knowledge. That's why we come to church, Sunday school. That's why we read our Bible daily to see what God has for us, and we keep adding it to our life. One of the reasons people are unfulfilled, and one of the reasons why you see so many people that come to church for a little while and then they drop out. I don't think they added anything to their knowledge about God because it's like salt. <laughs> you get a little bit of it and it makes you thirsty and you want more. You found, some of you found it to be that way. You, you study the word of God a little bit and man, it whets your appetite. It's kind of like getting a spoonful of that good soup and you don't want just one spoonful, man. You want more. You want another spoonful, another spoonful, and a whole bowl full, maybe two bowls full. In Lloyd's case, it would be five bowls full. In Brother Paul's case, it would be a whole crock pot full. If he's got enough tea to wash it down. <laughs> Anybody ever been to the restaurant with Brother Paul and see how he drinks tea? Man, he, he doesn't drink it by the gallon. They, they bring buckets of it to him. So no wonder Peter is urging people in this passage of Scripture in, in 2 Peter to keep gaining knowledge because it helps to fulfill our life and it helps us to add something else as we walk with the Lord. Then next it says, to add something else, we, not, we must not only be taught, but we need to also be temperate. Verse 6, and to knowledge, temperance. Temperance has to do with strength and signifies self-control. We learn things, but the breakdown a lot of times comes because what we learn Sometimes we don't put into practice. So it's great to learn things about the Lord. But I've known some people, and you have too, I've known some people that had a head full of knowledge, but they didn't put it into practice. I, before I got saved, I used to run around with a guy. He was a lot older than me, and, and he was the town drunk. He could quote verses out of the Bible. <laughs> 
He was good at it too. But he was town drunk. I mean, <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have a very good reputation. And so what was, the, what was the problem? He knew some things, but he wasn't putting it into practice. <clears throat> Do we? <clears throat> Do we put it into practice? Temperance, self-control. Solomon said a lot of wise things, didn't he? You read uh, the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. Solomon knew a lot. I mean, he had the Queen of Sheba to come up, travel all the way up there. She'd heard about him. She, she traveled all the way up to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Man, she wanted to hear about history and philosophy and, and all the things that he knew. He was able to tell her about that. But his life was kind of devastated in a lot of ways. The closer he got to the end of the life, the more downhill he went. He knew things, but he didn't put it into practice. So here's, here's the thing. When, when you hear a sermon, when you hear a Sunday school lesson, or when you read the scriptures, the question is, not what did I learn, but did I put into practice what I learned? That's why having a devotion time is so great. You read something in the scripture and you say, wait a minute, I need to think that over a little bit. Am I doing that? That's a good thing there. Am I doing that? I better start doing that. That's a good thing. And then you put into practice a plan. I'm going to start doing that today. And here's how I'm going to do it. Or if the scripture shows you something you do and you shouldn't do, you stop and meditate on it. You say, that, that doesn't seem to please God if I'm doing that. Am I doing that? I better quit doing that. So the next time this happens, I'm not going to respond the same way in anger like I did before. And so we put into practice what we learned. It doesn't do a lot of good to learn things if we don't practice it. You heard the old saying, practice what you preach. We ought to practice what we learn. Then not only that, but we shouldn't only be in possession, but also have patience. Verse 6, the last part. And to temperance, patience. Patience. One guy said, uh, I had my patience tested today. It came back negative. <laughs> the patient person does not act in a hurry. He does not jump to conclusions. He does not act as a reactionary would do. He thinks things through. I had some guys a few days ago trying to, trying to sell me something, and I said, wait, let's, let's stop right here. I said, now, what you've got is probably a good thing, and maybe I need it, but I'm not buying it right now. <laughs> I said, I'm a slow thinker, and I have to think a little and pray a little and mull this over in my mind, and so I'll call you back if I decide I need this. Now, you know what their expression was, they want to, when somebody's selling something, they want to push you to buy it right now. You've got to have this. Your life will be, will be changed if you buy this. And if you don't buy it, you'll probably fall apart and die tomorrow. <laughs> and they want you to make the decision right now. But the man has patience. will keep on thinking and praying until he's got peace with God about it. If the person is easily irritated and becomes angry with people when he shouldn't, then that person needs patience. And if he teaches himself patience, it'll probably be easier on him than if God has to teach him patience. You know that, don't you? Job was a patient man. 
Joseph was a patient man. They exhibited great patience in the face of danger and adverse circumstances. They're a good example. We need patience. Peter is telling us in this passage of Scripture, add this to what you already have. Keep adding to what you have. And then our Lord himself was the supreme example of patience. I mean, even on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul had patience. He was in prison so many times. He would rather be out planting churches and winning people to the Lord. But he had to sit in prison. He learned patience. In fact, he said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. That's patience. And not only should we be patiently good, but we also be patently godly. Look at verse number 6, the third part of this verse. And to patience, godliness. Boy, we don't hear a lot of talk about that. Godliness? God wants us to be godly in our ways. The word for godliness means to be devout, sold out, trying to please the Lord. And if you want to see what godliness looks like, look at what the Lord Jesus did in the New Testament. If you want to see how a boy ought to act at age 12, look at the Lord Jesus. If you want to see what, uh, what a man ought to do if he comes across a wicked woman at a wayward well, see what Jesus did. That's Samaria. If you want to know what, what would you do if you confronted, were confronted by a hungry mob at sundown, look at what Jesus did. We look to him to see how to be patient. Our journey should be Christ-like. And not only be holy, but also helpful. Look at verse 7. And to godliness, see we're adding again. To godliness, what do we add? Brotherly kindness. First part of verse 7. For all believers are members of God's family. And between us, there ought to be a genuine spirit of kindness. And it's not always that way. There are families that just Christian, but they fight and feud all the time. There are churches where people are believers, and they fight and feud all the time. Somebody's trying to get in a power struggle with somebody else. Maybe at work. Maybe work with other Christians and still there's not that spirit of kindness. Somebody's a little bit quick on the trigger with their tongue and say things that are hurtful. And it's not, you know, it's not always what you say, but how you say it that shows kindness or the lack thereof. The way we use our tongue. I think that's why James said, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Swift to hear. God gave us two ears. In one mouth, maybe we ought to listen twice as much as we speak. Brotherly love, kind one to another. The Lord Jesus, again, as our example, he was approachable. He was kind. Yeah, he ran a few people out of the temple a time or two, and, and he, uh, he put a few Pharisees in their place, but his general attitude was that he was kind. He was a kind person. Mothers brought their children 
to Jesus because he was kind to them. Sinners could approach Jesus. In Luke, it tells us how how a supper was made and and there was all kinds of sinners there at the supper and uh, they'd heard about Jesus and they wanted to come and meet him. Why'd they want to meet him? Because he wasn't an in-your-face kind of guy. They thought they might find some love and acceptance with Jesus. And when they repented and turned to him, they did. How did he act towards lepers and demoniacs? He didn't care to touch them. He didn't care to help them. He was kind to them. When everybody else pushed him away and said, get back, I don't want you to be around me. Jesus said, come over here, let's talk a little. Yeah, he was kind. Even the rich and the powerful could come to Jesus. I think of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night and, and wanted to talk. Jesus could have said, look, all you rich guys got nothing in common with me. Get out of here. But he didn't. He talked and reasoned with Nicodemus. Outcasts could come to Jesus. Why? Because he showed them all brotherly kindness. And then not only are we to be liberal in our actions, but lovable as well. And verse 7, the second part says, to brotherly kindness Charity. The word charity here is the word agape, and it means that highest kind of love, the strongest kind of love. It's the kind of love that God the Father has towards His Son, Jesus. Charity, that very purest love. Love can only be known by what it does. You can tell somebody you love them, but what you do speaks louder. I'm, I'm all for telling somebody you love them. If you mean it, tell them. Tell your family you love them. Tell your brothers and sisters you love them. But what speaks even louder is when your actions actions show it. The only way that you can have it is Galatians 5.22 is through the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not something we can drum up on the inside. It's something that being yielded to the Spirit of God produces in us because we're yielded, not because we're trying to grunt and force it and make it happen. See, if there's some people that's hard for you to love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. Love. <laughs> there's some people that's hard to love. That's why you need the fruit of the Spirit, because the Spirit working through you can help you to love people that are unlovely. And by the way, most of us, need to take time to realize we're probably unlovely to some people too. You know. Fruit of the Spirit. Now let me give you one more verse, verse 8. We'll see, when we've added these things that Peter mentions in this passage of Scripture, when we've added these things, there'll be fruitful abundance. He says in verse 8, for if these things be in you, what things? These things we have just elaborated on. These things we just talked about adding. For if these things be in you and abound, that means we're practicing them, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Oh, isn't that what we need as Christians to be fruitful? We don't want to be barren. So we add these things to our life and let them work their ways through us as we're yielded to the Spirit. I'm saying that I believe this passage of Scripture teaches that Christianity is not a a dull creed or a set of rules that we have to follow in order to please God. I'm saying that if we add these things to our life, life as a Christian will be more exciting 
than it's ever been before. When we add these things to our life and as we please God, when we please God and know that we're pleasing Him, we'll have a fulfilled life. So when somebody gets saved, they may not know right off the bat that it's going to be a lifetime of adding. But as they learn to add one thing after another, life becomes fulfilling. And you'll be glad you're alive. And you'll be glad you're living for the Lord. And Christian, Christian living won't be a chore. It'll be a blessing. It's been this way. That's the way Christ lived. And Peter here was with Christ every day during his earthly ministry, day in and day out. Peter was watching Jesus live out all these things. All these things we just said need to be added in the Christian life. All those things were in Jesus because of who he is. And Peter saw that being lived out in the life of Jesus every day. And so Peter learned it too. And that's why Peter can say in this passage of Scripture, hey guys, guess what I learned from Jesus? Here's some things that Jesus had in his life that I added to my life. And boy, it's made a difference. My Christianity sparkles instead of being dull and boring. And I added those things to my life because I got it from Jesus. Now I want to pass it along to you. And so Peter's saying, add these things in your life and your life will be fuller and more fulfilling than it's ever been before. That kind of knowledge will transform us. Let's bow in prayer, please. Our Father, we're thankful that you show us these things that can be added in our life. And when we act these out genuinely in our life, Lord, we'll have an exciting Christian life that won't be dull and drudgery. But Lord, it'll be exciting and fulfilling. I pray that you'd bless us. Help us to know how to add these things and be willing to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed.